Coming up on today's show. Wednesdays are for the players, baby. Calias Campbell joins the show to tell us why his former teammate Patrick Peterson is a better quarterback than Blake Bortles. His words, not mine. Tama Headlines, Eric Mangini, and this week's catchphrase marks the beginning and end of Joe's broadcasting career. All of this and much, much more coming up on another Malcolm Gladwell award-winning episode of the Tama Johnny Hawk Show! All right, so disclaimer, we had some technical issues. Joe's audio went out. We felt like we lost a good portion of the episode, but luckily... The task force here at the Tomahawk Show saved the audio. So it might sound a little off, but just like a slice of bread on a hot dog, it won't be perfect, but it'll get the job done. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. I'm your humblest of co-hosts, Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my main man, Joseph Hayden Thomas. Joe, how you doing today, brother? Doing great, man. It's a super busy week for me. I feel like it's game week. I feel like I'm back in the NFL. Uh, we talked last episode how I'm doing the Bucks Texans game on Saturday with Rich Eisen and Nate Burleson. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, there's a lot more prep work that goes into calling a game than there is being a 90-minute Yahoo on the pregame show <laughs> with Michael Irvin and Steve Smith and just saying whatever the hell we want and the Tomahawk catchphrase game. That's much simpler. This is real work. And <laughs> yeah, so man. I've been crunching the numbers all week, talking to all sorts of former players that know the Texans and that know the Bucks, both on those teams and guys that have recently played against them and obviously watching a lot of films. So um, it's definitely been a busy week, but it's been fun. You know, you kind of get that little bit of excitement, that energy that you got when you were p- playing and preparing for a game. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Are you going to be the fun version of Joe Thomas? Are you going to be like, you know, the boring, I have like my pants are way too tight version and I'm scared because I just want to no. fit in. Or am I, are we going to get the, the Tomahawk no. version of Joe Thomas? So what you're saying is there's a boring, my pants are too tight version of there, myself? There, no, there wow, is. There cool. is. Yeah, there is. Like when wow. you're kissing the babies and shaking the hands at uh, <laughs> Cleveland Brown Stadium, like that's the version yeah. of Joe Thomas that I would expect yeah. to be on uh, a nationally color commentated game. But I want, I want, I want the Tomahawk Live Cleveland, Ohio, one hundredth yeah, oh yeah. so episode celebration version. For sure, obviously, if it was you and I on there, we would know that it would be TV <laughs> gold uh, with Nate Burleson. I think that's probably the closest thing to Hawk. They actually asked for Hawk, but he was busy that was day, like, nah, and I'm so busy, they said, man. "What's the closest thing to Hawk?" <laughs> All right, it's another short black receiver that yeah. had a mediocre playing career but had a meteoric media career oh, kevin nate hart burleson. but kevin hart is also not available so <laughs> we'll go with nate burleson <laughs> so uh so it's perfect so actually it should be a lot of fun and i'm definitely going to be the guy that doesn't know what he's doing and so when i don't know what i'm doing i always defer to humor and yes. making fun of myself and everyone else that's within uh, earshot. <laughs> so hopefully Rich and Nate are ready because they're going to get it. <laughs> I also like that you called Nate Burleson short and he's 6'1". But I guess when you're 6'7", everybody that's underneath you is considered yeah. short. Yeah. So Calvin Johnson was the guy drafted ahead of me in 2007. Who's this he is the only receiver that's adequate size and he was 6'6". <laughs> six, six. So anything less than that is considered a short receiver in my book. <laughs> All right, so you can check Joe out on Saturday, man. Uh, Texans versus the Bucks. Jameis Winston will probably throw five interceptions, but he'll match it. He'll make up for it by throwing five picks. So just, just did half your job for you there, Joe. Hey, thank you. Follow us on social media. 
at Tomahawk Show on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Join our Facebook group, Tomahawk. Hit our voicemail lineup, 440-628-1376. All right, let's get into some Tomahawk headlines. This is a special report from Tomahawk Headlines. All right, we're just going to talk some headlines this week, man. It's playoff time. So, yeah, we're looking for who's getting the wild card spots and who's taking the lead in divisions, um, especially when your division is shitty like the NFC East and the winner probably won't even have a winning record. Uh, but he'll go to the playoffs. You know, but we're going to talk about some of the other things, man. Drew Brees, did you watch the Monday Night Football game this week, Joe? I did, and it was an absolute shellacking. Oh, my god, It gosh. was embarrassing. But Drew Brees did set a record. so He, he was amazing, watch. right? And, and, like, it's weird to think as for as incredible as Drew Brees is and what his career has become and his stats, and obviously that all speaks for itself. It was crazy for me watching it because for some reason I still had this feeling of, like, oh, man, he cemented himself as a great quarterback tonight. And I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, he just broke the all-time touchdown pass record. He already owns it in yards. I don't know, man. It was it was just a, a marvel to watch a guy who's 77 years old go 29 for 30 in passing. Um, and in a, in a game where he was trying to break another record, he broke, like, three other records. You know what I'm saying? 20, 29 of 30, that's Dude. a game that's reminiscent of – Remember when Aaron Rodgers went into Atlanta in the playoffs? This would have been 10 or 12 years ago, and he was like 31 out of 32 for like 350 or something. Yeah. It was like one of the greatest performances of all time. And Drew Brees, 29 out of 34 touchdowns. Here's something I don't understand. Drew Brees last night, 29 out of 30, 307, four touchdowns, no picks, no sacks. How is his QBR 97? How do they get to that number? Like, what could he have done to be better last night. You could say, well, one pass. But realistically, how did he not have an astro? I don't know how the QBR works. It's different. I don't know than if it's out of 100. Rating. Yeah. But he should have been 100. He should have, at the minimum, been a 99. How do you get a 97? Maybe. Makes no sense. I don't, yeah, that is a good question. And I don't know enough to, to give you a, a, a good answer. Yeah. Um, well, but either way, my two favorite things from last night is – I feel like there's this secret rivalry between Taysom Hill and Drew Brees. Do you get that sense? Uh, Because, you know, kind of like the rivalry between the uh, New England Patriots and the the Cleveland Browns, the Toledo Rockets. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You mean the kind of rivalry that we're neither of them are in the same playing field? Because there's clearly one winner. We see Taysom Hill get put in the game Uh near the goal line and he's got a special play and he gets to score a touchdown and he gets to celebrate. But Drew Brees did all the work moving him down the field. Uh Uh-huh. And you think there's a rivalry? You think something's brewing? I feel like Drew secretly hates him that he gets to come into the game (laughs) and get his touchdowns and that he's thinking, you know what? I would have set this record weeks ago had it not been for you, Taysom, always coming (laughs) in and stealing my easy touchdowns. Who's he trying to kiss? Because he's always over in the sidelines. You ever notice him? He like purses his lips. Like he's trying to kiss somebody at all the time. And a lot of times they'll show him, especially when he's nervous. That's like his nervous tick. Kiss people. I'm always looking at him just mm, like interesting. Who's he trying to kiss out there? So and next I, time you watch the Saints, make sure you check out Sean Payton and, and see how he purses his lips nervously yeah. repeatedly. And it, it really for some reason it's the small things in life. <laughs> he's gonna get written up by HR for that. Um <laughs> Michael Thomas, another aspect of this game that marveled me. Twelve targets, twelve catches. That's that's just an amazing stat in and of itself. He's good. 
Yeah, he went 12 for 12. Very rare do receivers go 12 for 12. Like, because there's so many other factors for him to like have and be able to catch every ball that gets thrown his way. I went five for five one time in, in Atlanta, and I thought I was like, a party. <laughs> every time they throw it to me, baby, it is money. And he doubled what, that plus two. What makes Michael Thomas so good? I mean, he catches the football. Yeah. That's got to be number one. What's number two? Number two, I don't, I don't know, man. He is, he is special. And I, and I, I don't want to say I downplayed the fact that how well he catches the football because, to be honest, he doesn't separate as good as some of the other top-tier receivers, right? Like, he's not a well, super-duper right. He was a second-round pick, so he didn't have all the qualities you're looking for as a receiver coming out. He's not, like, a super-fast guy. He's yeah. not, like, super-explosive out of his breaks. He doesn't separate, but obviously having Drew Brees helps. He catches everything. Yeah. He's been – I mean, he might set the all-time record for catches in a season – this year, I think uh, Marvin Harrison, I think, has it. Right, Marvin has it. I think Colts. he's on pace but, to get it, though. But he's on pace to get it, so he's having a tremendous career, tremendous season. And I'm just curious, as a as a receiver, what you think yeah. makes him so special. Well, I, I used to say it, and, and it does help. He has Drew Brees. They're like the rare combination of, of players that bode perfectly for each other because Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback probably in the history of the game, and Michael Thomas has an incredible catch radius right so if he's not separating well at least he wasn't as early in in his career as some of those top tier guys like the julios or the antonio browns who made a living off of separation um when you have an accurate quarterback you know you're going to benefit from that but i changed that perspective seeing him play with teddy bridgewater who's also accurate but he's not drew Brees, and still you see michael thomas put the team on his back man so I just think he's a crazy competitor. He wants to be the best. He wants to be known as the top receiver in the game, and he has that chip on his shoulder so much so that I know people around him that are like, yo, he's a – it sucks being around him because of that chip, but it's what makes him so good. Like, all he cares about is being the best and dominating. Like, so in games where he's whooping the corner's ass in the fourth quarter, he's still telling the corner how bad he sucks. It's not like, oh, man, good game, and, you know, you fought hard, and we're – no, it's like you're trash, and when I see you next game, I'm going to double it up. I'm going to tell them to throw me twice as much because you couldn't stop me 12 for 12, so imagine if they threw it to me 24 times. I'm going to embarrass you next – and, then like, that's why he gets into so many riffs and fights. So you're saying that desire is important to be a good football player? Yeah, hmm, man. Let me write that down. <clears throat> write it down. There's a, there's a few players that I've played with over the years that could really use that note. Yeah, and some scouting departments. That actually might work <laughs> for hiring head coaches, too. You know, it, it was funny when Mangini was the head coach of the Browns. He made us memorize all these stupid phrases and stupid catchphrases and stuff. And I still remember to this day because he used yeah. to make us stand up in front of the, our peers during team meetings and recite all this stuff like it was some type of weird cult. Um, and I hated him for it. But now that I'm in media and you do realize you just indirectly berated the Tomahawk catchphrase game. <laughs> like, he would make us memorize all these stupid phrases and re-say them. <laughs> and only idiots do that. <laughs> but it was it was not like an astronaut eating a tomahawk. The stakes have never been higher. It was focus, finish, trust, communicate. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> the, the every battle is won before it is ever fought, sir. Uh, durability is more important than ability, sir. I mean, it was literally like entering into a cult. Like he yeah. would be like, uh, Andrew Hawkins, what's the qu quote on the scoreboard? And then you'd have to rattle off like some random quote. <laughs> what's the co quote in the training room? The one in the training room was, durability is more important than ability. Get the hell out um, of the training room, essentially. And it, it was all, yeah, it was all in certain like strategic positions. Backwards messaging. Um, 
yeah, it was it was uh it was cult, very cultish. And he I, also and I sounds like it. Russell Wilson when you do his voice, and <laughs> those well, are the yeah. same things that Russell uh, says and mic'd up. I, I actually have a tremendous. Eric Mangini impersonation where you he do. sounds like the penguin. You remember because we talked about it before how he sounds like he has a big <laughs> chew in at all times because uh-huh. he did. And he didn't talk very loudly, which is actually something I actually now in hindsight, I learned a lot from Eric about life, about coaching, about the game of football. Like He was extremely smart. And one thing that I learned from him is that the coaches that yell the most usually know the least. Mm-hmm. And when you talk quietly, you make people listen more intently and that was actually something that was reinforced to me when the Navy SEALs came in and trained us. And one of the guys that I, I was having lunch with told me, he goes, yeah, I've been like a Navy SEAL trainer for like seven years or something like that. And uh-huh. he's like, I never yelled at my guys because they knew that when I said something, they had to listen. And if they didn't do it, the punishment was really severe. And so I would just talk really quietly because he found that when you yell, then the, the guys don't have to listen as closely and they don't have to focus as much as on what you say. So Eric would stand up in front of the team meeting with 100 people in there and he'd talk very quietly. Hey, Andrew, Andrew, what's the quote on the scoreboard? What, what's the four things that are written on the field? And on the field, there would be in letters that were like 20 yards long. It'd be like, communication, trust, focus, finish. And it was written in paint on the practice field. So when you're watching film of practice, it was subliminally reinforced into you like the four characteristics that they wanted every Cleveland Brown to have. And the reason we got into this rabbit hole was because (laughs) there was qualities that they wanted for every football player in the room. Um, and if I can remember quickly off the top of my head, one of the things was football is important. That was actually the last thing mm. they, they wanted smart, tough, competitive people. And the last thing was they wanted that football was important yeah, and it yeah. all makes sense. I mean, they're, yeah. they're all really on top of it things, but at the time I didn't appreciate it cause I just couldn't stand Eric Mangini. standing up there. <laughs> I couldn't stand standing up in front of the team when we're preparing to play the Patriots and rattling off quotes that are on the scoreboard <laughs> rather than talking about I'm going to fucking block Chandler Jones out there today. That's my problem. My problem is not the goddamn quote on the scoreboard. My problem is how I'm going to block this asshole who's got 16 sacks this week. Right. Exactly. Well, so maybe it was a loss, a lack of perspective on his part. He wasn't maybe, training maybe future understood media that. and coaches. He was training <laughs> try to, football players to try to win a fucking game. And here you are rattling them all off the top of your brain without, <laughs> without flaw. All right, so the Drew Brees to put a, to put a to a bow on that. What quarterback do you think is going to break Drew Brees' record? And do you think Tom Brady catches him before he retires? Well, I guess not because you think he's going to retire in in two weeks. So Tom Brady will be retiring at the end of the season. Drew Brees, write that down. Presumably, everyone. will be playing for twenty more years. I think two more years. I okay. believe Drew will play till he's forty-two. Um, he looks very good, unlike where Tom is right now, who is, seems to be father time kind of catching up to him a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think some of that is overblown because his weapons around him and his offensive line and his running game is not what it has been in years past. Um, but Although I do it's think the same guys, with the exception of Gronk. But go ahead. Uh, they're missing both their offensive tackles, which has been critical. They're missing no. Gronk, who is their biggest weapon. Offensive he was the only guy important. in the middle of the field. They're missing any sort of deep threat. Not that Josh Gordon was really a deep threat for a long time, but they have no deep threat. They have nobody in the middle of the field where Gronk was. And so all the focus is on the underneath five yard routes that Edelman catches. And since they can't protect, 
They can't even throw the ball down the field because they don't have the same tackles that they had in years past. And uh, their running game stinks because their offensive line has always relied on the fact that everyone was afraid of Brady throwing the football down the field and they were going to give them the run game, but now they're not worried about Brady throwing it down the field so they can focus their defense on the run game. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Well, we can book all of that shit. Um, what young so QB? Anyway, so Drew. Back to Drew. No, Drew. We already we wrapped that up. Drew's the man. He's going to play two more years. What young QB is going to break his record well, right that's, now? That's exactly what I was going to get to. So because the, the game of football is changing before our very eyes, thanks to – the young quarterbacks that are dual threat guys, the guys like Deshaun Watson who can run and pass, the guys like um, Lamar Jackson who are more even run first. And the way that we're seeing the ability to have a dual threat quarterback that can run pass, do the run pass option, do the zone read, and be such a dynamic threat with Mm -hmm. the football in their hands running, I don't think you're going to see guys like Drew Brees and Tom Brady anymore in the NFL. You're just not. You're going to only see quarterbacks that are athletes. So running is going to be much more balanced into the offense than the New Orleans offense, which we see, which is primarily a passing offense. And so I just don't think that we're going to see the meteoric passing numbers anymore after this generation of old and immobile quarterbacks goes off to pasture. Yeah, it's like it's like Dutch Clark. It's back to the good old days. Back to like the 1930s when quarterbacks <laughs> couldn't throw it past 10 yards, but they can also run um, the football. Yeah. All right. So you don't think their records are going to be broken, even though Patrick Mahomes is probably the best young arm talent we've ever seen in the league. Yeah. I, I just think because even Patrick, he's he's a very mobile quarterback. And because as a mobile quarterback, it means you do take some more hits. I just don't think the longevity of their careers is going to be like we see with Drew and Tom. And the fact that um, he is a little bit mobile, he is going to focus a little bit more on running, maybe until he gets a little bit older. But um, what we're seeing right now is just still incredible. And I think because we've been in this era of passing, we've kind of taken it for granted how sharp and incredible and dynamic these offenses are and their ability Mm -hmm. to throw the football all over the field was incomprehensible even 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, when you look at, uh, as I was getting ready for the Bucks game, Jameis Winston, I think, just passed 4,000 yards passing on the season, and he's done it like every year. Um, but if you go back like 10 or 15 years, there there was maybe one or two guys in the league that would have 4,000 yards passing. And if they had that, they were MVPs of the league. And so um, this era we're in right now is just so incredible when it comes to the passing game. All right. I won't argue it. I won't argue it. Today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers you already know like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando, and Mike Lombardi. The Athletic is setting a new standard for sports news. There are no ads, pop-ups, or clickbait. Just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights that you won't find anywhere else. We know you can get a lot of sports content for free, but The Athletic is worth the money. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, podcasts, and more. Just download The Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and The Athletic will bring you all the latest storylines and the players that matter to you. Let's face it, you're probably already spending a ton of money on other people for the holidays. So why not get something for yourself? Ready to get started? We'll get 40% off a yearly subscription to The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com slash tomahawk. Theathletic.com slash tomahawk. 
All right, next up, we got uh, our guy, Josh Gordon, man. He got suspended indefinitely for violating the NFL drug policy. Um, it was his fifth suspension um, for some sort of substance abuse. I don't really know. I don't, I don't think the report um, has come out. And then as well as a PED, which that was interesting to me. And I, I don't, again, I have zero information. Um, but for obvious reasons, we're connected to this because he's our former teammate. I was just curious of what like your thought was when you seen the news. Well, my first thought was, he probably was taking Adderall in season, which right. they consider a PED, PED in season. Um, right. Which is a party drug for a lot of people. You know, they, they call it poor man's cocaine because it's an upper, it's a stimulant. That's just like, um, all your other stimulants that are in the street drug categories. And mm-hmm. during the season when the NFL tests for that, um, if it happens and you do test positive, it becomes a PED because, some guys use it to have more energy during games and stuff, or they used to. Mm-hmm. Back in like the 90s, it was legal. They, yeah. they, the teams used to su- supply this stuff. They used to call them greenies. I remember uh, we really? had a strength coach in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm surprised you didn't know this. Like We had wow. a strength coach in Cleveland who said when he was around in the 90s at the organization he was at, I won't mention who or where, but he said that they used to have a bowl of greenies in the locker room, which was like Speed or Adderall or whatever like that type of drug was. Um, it was like a candy bowl, and they were like green mints in the locker room, and everyone would go over and take however many you wanted for practice and games, and that was how you got up. Like that was instead of drinking Spark, which is like – Right. One of the energy drinks that everybody drinks or monster or all these other caffeine and vitamin infused energy substances that everybody uses to get energy for the games. It used to be real pharmaceutical drugs back in the day. And in baseball, they had a even way bigger problem with it because guys were taking them every single day to stay focused and to stay sharp for baseball games. But um, we've learned that they're bad for you. They're bad for your heart. It's not good mm. to be addicted to stimulants. Who would have thought? Wow. And so now the NFL tests for it um, in the off season. If you test positive, it becomes substances of abuse, which is under a different penalty structure where you're allowed like two or three of those before you actually get suspended. Like the first time you test positive for um, any of the street drugs like marijuana, um, cocaine, Adderall, whatever, heroin, Mm -hmm. um, you would go into a pretty good rattling us off, Joe. Well, you know, the basics, the, the, the big five, it's like the power five. Um, but, but those are things that get you put into like their counseling and, um, internal discipline program essentially. Right. And if it happens a couple more times, they treat it like an addiction. Whereas if you're taking any type of like steroid substance, anytime during the year, it's an automatic four game suspension for the first time. So, um, for Josh, this is going to be Really tough to come back from this one since it yeah. was performance enhancing and a, additional um, substance of abuse, which has been his uh, you know fifth suspension and whoever knows how many times he's tested positive. So uh, yeah. unfortunately for Josh, this will be really tough to ever step foot in the NFL again. And everybody, you know, and I, and I know it's easy for uh, fans and people to like, oh, he's an idiot. He's this. He does like, and you know, he's I'm an so. Addict. He's an addict. You know what I mean? And as someone personally affected um, by addiction or family members affected by addiction. And in this day and age, I feel like a lot of people, you know, have people that are connected to that and have dealt with that. You know, I've said it from the beginning. My thing for Josh is, yes, I want to see him play football because he's so talented and he has so much talent that, um, you know, 99.9% of even football players who play in the league are not blessed with, you know, but more for his life. 
You know what I'm saying? Because addiction is very real. That is not a disease that quickly goes away. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much opportunity is in front of you. If you think about it, he is still on his rookie contract. He has been in the National Football League since, I believe, 2012. And and he he is still on his rookie year. And we are heading into 2020 in, in days here. And it's because of this addiction. So I get where everyone's like, yeah, same old, same old. Or, yeah, if he was this, we could have had this with our team. You know, those are things that I'm sure he wishes did happen. But to be honest, it is outside of his control. And the only real way to get a handle on that is help. And he's gone and he's tried to go to rehab. He's gone to rehab multiple times and even since as long as three months. And, you know, if he was listening, um, my advice would be to keep doing that. I'm actually going to try to reach out to him because, again, my thing is never about football. Love to see him do well just as a person in his life. But it's more about life because. These things don't get easier as life goes on and when hard things happen and you're bouncing around country to country. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very it's a very weird predicament. Even watching the comments on social media, it's just like, yeah, I don't think people realize that there's actual people under the helmet sometimes. The scary thing for me, Hawk, is knowing people in my life that have had addiction problems is mm-hmm. this will not be a wake up call if he gets booted out of the league. It's not going to be a wake up call because. No. The one thing that potentially was keeping him straight and narrow, if you can call what was going on straight and narrow, right. with a few um, off the off the wagons that yeah. got him suspended, was football, though. And if mm-hmm. you take that away from him and you take away that carrot, you can easily see that somebody would feel like they've got no reason to try to keep fighting the demons and they'll right. just succumb to right. the addiction even further um, and as we know, there's not a lot of happy endings when, when you have addiction, yeah. um, and significant lifetime addiction problems like Josh has had. And he's talked about since he was even before high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do pray and hope that some person somewhere can help get into his life and be by his side if he's ever not able to play back in the NFL and right. be a person that he can lean on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and it's even weird now thinking about, um, you know, Josh has missed a lot of time in football, and he's admitted to doing, you know, a lot of different substances across that Power Five spectrum that you named. Um, but the majority of his suspensions come from marijuana, and it's even weird now. Let's say Josh just got popped for marijuana, right? And it was just like, oh, he smoked weed again, and he's suspended. It's it's even weird now, like watching the way the world is changing and the way people are thinking about that. It would be weird f- for us to hear now that he he couldn't play because of marijuana. You know what I'm saying? Like I live in Los Angeles. Joe, this stuff is like cigarettes here. You know what I mean? Like there are kids that go out for smoke breaks in high school and that is perfectly legal where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just weird to even, you know. Well, certainly the perception about weed and cannabis has changed significantly even since i've been in the nfl you know right um and we're right on the edge of not testing for it in the nfl i think the nfl is holding out at this point 
to try to win something in the in collective CBA. bargaining agreement. Right. Give us three games money. and we won't let you. Whole, yeah, hey, you want something to change? Give us money. You know, right. put the money in the bag. The NFL just has a gun to the player's head with everything. It's like, oh, you guys don't want to slam helmets and smash your brains into each other <laughs> as much in the offseason? Okay, give us money. We don't care. Right. Oh, you don't want to do two days that destroy your body and your mind and cause you to die an early death? Okay, we'll, give us some money. We'll and take we'll some reps here for that. Yeah, like, oh, we'll do the right thing. We'll give us some money because the contract we have says we don't have to do that. And so it's the same thing with cannabis right now. Like the large majority of NFL cities, either from a medical or a recreational standpoint, completely legalized right. cannabis. Right. And the fact that the NFL still tests for it is crazy. Right. I mean, MLB and basketball, if I'm not mistaken, don't test for it anymore. I think MLB just made the announcement that that's when they just, they're they not just testing made the for announcement. anymore. So can you imagine if a sports league, if you just close your eyes and all of a sudden there's a sports league that, all right, we're going to test for alcohol. Like if we catch you drinking beer, we're going to suspend you for four games or six games or whatever right. it is. Like, but, but it's legal. Like I'm, I'm a, an American citizen. It's totally legal right. where I am. Like what I do away from work should be my own business. Right. Uh, or at work and, in, but, the, in the, in the case of Marcus Peters. Yeah. Oh wait, what? He jumped Did in the, after the win. He jumped in the stands and drank a beer with his uniform. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like he he was smoking a J or something. With, <laughs> with some fans after know. in the locker room. Like, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that report. <laughs> I know it's California, but I'm still thinking they they probably frown upon that. But hey, after the Raiders game, uh, that might have been happening in the locker room, being that that was it was the last Raiders game, but it was probably the the Jaguars locker room, the very first time in my career where I was sitting on the bench and I felt like I was getting high was actually in Oakland, believe it or not. We, we <laughs> played in the black hole. It was like my second or third year in the NFL. And I was sitting on the bench and also I'm like, man, that's strong. And I turn around and it was the dude that was literally in the first row and he had a joint in his mouth. And there was, you know how they have police officers that line uh -huh. the field on both sides? There's a police officer five feet away from him staring up into the crowd and he didn't <laughs> nothing was going on and i was like man this really is a unique experience playing uh, in the black hole hey man it all it, it it it's all good in the black hole all right so yeah i mean and not to get away from the point so josh gordon again we're praying for him you know hope just for his personal life uh, you know incredible talent we know that uh, but addiction is serious man and, and he has two friends here at the tomahawk show all mm. right so next up we have a report that several Browns players, notably Jarvis Landry, were yelling, come get me at the Arizona sideline on Sunday. Do you have any any reaction to that, Joseph? My reaction to that is uh, we rarely advocate for players-only meetings. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's a great way to fracture the team and have yep. giant fights in the locker room and make sure everybody else gives up on the season, but... This might be the rare instance where I would encourage the leaders in the Browns locker room to come together and have a little players-only meeting, if for no other reason, to just say, hey, guys, there's two games left in the season. We need to make sure that we're not doing anything that can be potentially destructive to each other. Right. Because when reports like this get out there, now everybody in that locker room have to answer questions for those guys because of what they said. So Odell and Jarvis supposedly have been saying, come get me and, 
And of course, we all know what that implicates, but now the media is going to come into the locker room and ask Joel Batonio about it. Are you happy here? Do right. you want to be here? Has Jarvis ever talked to you about not winning beer? They're going to talk to Hollywood Higgins. They're going to talk to the coaches. And it just puts all the teammates in a bad spot. Higgins is going to be like, yeah, I'm out of here. I don't know what you're talking about. My shit is packed. He's like, I cannot wait. <laughs> um, but it goes back to the same thing that what, what happened uh, a couple weeks ago with Baker and how he threw the training staff under the bus. That's so bad because now J.C. Treader, who's dealing with an ankle injury, has to answer questions all week about, well, what do you think about the training staff? Well, now you have had a bad ankle. Have they ever treated you bad? And he's right. caught like walking the line between defending his quarterback and his teammate and defending the medical staff. And you don't ever want to have to be caught in between defending sides of your organization. Yeah. And so they need to have a players-only meeting and have those captains and leaders stand up and say, guys, two weeks left. We can say less. That's more at this point. But that's like, not even... The- let's hold it together. Let's not do anything that's going to be disruptive to each other to make <laughs> us look bad, to make me and my brothers have a hard time to finish the season and then do productive things in the next season. Yeah, I don't know. if a, I think it's past the players only meeting status <laughs> because the captains and leaders are the ones who are doing it. So how how are they going to conduct a meeting to say to tell everybody else what they themselves need to stop doing? Yeah, no, but that that's my point is you get on the same page and let how, let them understand like hey, we get it. You're very frustrated. Like I, we're all very frustrated. And and you know what? You may want to trade. That's fine. But mm-hmm. For the sake of the guys that are still here that you care about, that that still want to be here or that are going to be here next year, keep a lid on it for two weeks. Anybody can do something for two weeks. You can survive training camp for two weeks. You can stop yelling, come get me to the Arizona or the other team's sideline or to the media or whatever for two weeks. And then you know what? After the season's over, go do a, a ESPN the magazine interview. Go, go on the Tomahawk show and tell everybody how much <laughs> yeah. you hated it and how everybody stinks. Who cares at that point? But while we're here for these last two weeks and we're required to be in the locker room and go to practice and answer to the media for things that you say, please, let's not be destructive. Let's not say things that are incriminating against our coaches, our organization, or our teammates so that we can walk out of this building in two weeks and not have a sour taste in our mouth about how we finish the season, especially if Jarvis or Odell or whoever is going to be somewhere else next year. They don't want to have people that are in that locker room that are their friends think about their time in Cleveland negatively. Like you and I, we had a lot of freaking losing, but you know what? I think very positively of our time together because for the most part, everybody acted professionally. We respected each other. We treated each other well. And Mm -hmm. we, the losing actually brought us together and made us fight harder for each other. So let's get together and say, let's fight harder for each other. Whether you like the coaches or whoever, it doesn't matter anymore. Let's yeah. finish this strong for each other in this locker room. And you know what? That's couldn't have said it better. Probably myself. not going to happen. I, but yeah, if it I mean, did, it'd be great. No way in hell that shit happens. But <laughs> it, it was eloquent the way you said it. It was poignant. Um, and I, I commend you, Joe Thomas. All right, okay. next thing, we got Spygate 2.0. The Patriots were caught illegally taping the Bengals' sideline. Why? The hell if I know, Joe, because I don't <laughs> think you need to tape uh, bangle signals at this point in time. You actually probably hurt yourself by trying to figure out what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing. Anyway, we talked about it on Sunday. What kind of punishments do you think is going to come down on the Patriots, if any? And how do you think this whole scandal ends? I think that Bill Belichick needs to be suspended four games. I think there needs to be a... Wow. 
very, very significant fine, $5 million to the organization. That and I believe so that you need to take away a draft pick. What kind? What round? What 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 status of draft pick? I believe a second and a third round draft pick would be fair. Second or third and round? Because you said second, second and third round. Second and third round. So that's but two draft picks. After saying all that, I one one piece of information that I want to know mm-hmm. is that how long has this documentary, docu series on do your job uh-huh. been going on? Because if this was the first time that they were actually filming, it's easy for me to defend them and say, you know what? Nothing nefarious was happening because there's no way that they would go the whole season and then all of a sudden decide, you know what, we really need to steal the Bengals' signals in order for us to have an advantage. But if this has been a docu-series that's been going on the whole season or maybe multiple seasons, right. then I think it's clearly that the, they've been caught red-handed. So I guess I would like to maybe back up my comments about the suspension and the significant punishment until we find out how long this Series has been recorded, and if it's only one game, then you say, all right, it was a problem. We still have to punish you because of what you did. Even though you may not have known it was a violation at the time, you still broke the rules. It's like, hey, I didn't know that I stole uh, money from the bank, but I did, and I'm sorry, and I have (laughs) to pay the punishment. But if they did it intentionally, and if it's been going on for, for weeks, then four games is not even close to enough for Belichick. He should just be banned for life because this is the second time they've done it. Yeah. Well, they, they do. It looks like we pulled up on a series here. It's called the Do Your Job video series. And they kind of profile uh, different staff members. So they have the training staff on there. Um, they have coaches on there. They have kind of everybody just showing like, you know, they have the video department has it, obviously. So maybe it is like, hey, this was just his feature for this one game. And like you said, if that's the case, yeah, you probably didn't need to tape the Bengals. Like, I wouldn't believe that you were there to get signals from them. Um, but if you if it is like a lifetime story, like, yeah, we've been following this advanced scout for 10 years. And um, but but even OK, so if they, yeah. So if they had the trainers and the strength coaches and all these different guys and they've been filming the sideline every single week under a different guise of. <laughs> Well, we want to see what the perspective is for the uh, chefs on Sunday. <laughs> and, you know, they watch the, the game from up in the box. So, right. yeah, we're, we're going to film the sideline from the box. Like, was this their guise of being able to film the sideline each and every week? Yeah. I, I still want to hear that answer. Okay, so if that is the case, you think a four-game suspension for Bill Belichick, $5 million fine to the New England Patriots organization, and the loss of a second and third round pick. That's what Commissioner Thomas is doing. That's what I would do if this was a reoccurring thing. Yeah. I would say I would force them to do um remember the show Wife Swap? <laughs> Where you swap wives? One of the greats. The punishment is quarterback swap. So just like they forced like one of the worst teams in the NFL to do hard knocks, <laughs> they forced them to to swap quarterbacks <laughs> with one of the whoever has the worst record in the NFL, and that's your punishment for a whole season. So you go a whole season with Ryan Finley or, mm. you know, Daniel Jones or Jameis mm. Winston. Who else? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick. You have to do a quarterback swap with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Dolphins get Tom Brady for next season. You get Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that's your punishment. The problem is Tom Brady's retiring, so they might want Ryan Fitzpatrick next year. Oh, man. 
I guess you're right. All right, let me think through this a little bit longer, and we'll 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 pick it back up in the next episode. All right, that does it for Tama headlines. I think it's time we get our player on here, man, because you know Wednesdays are for the players, and we got one of the best players in the NFL, and Calais Campbell. Wednesdays are for the players. Travis Kelsey. This entire time, I thought it was Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Kareem Jackson. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Yeah. Ooh. Here we go. Saquon. One, One two, two, three, four. four. I declare a thumb war. Do you think, Ma? Let's get it. It's Tomahawk Show. Now we've got a special guest joining us on the Tomahawk Show. We got the greatest defensive lineman in NFL history, certainly the greatest defensive lineman I've ever tried to block in my career, Calias Campbell. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> so you played against Joe quite a few times, and you pretty much dominated him, right? Is that no is that question. an accurate statement? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if this is like a spoof show or what's going on right now, man. Joe... I, I mean, He's a legend, I, man. First Dallas Hall of Famer, you know. But if I'm looking at the stats, what what is the most sacks you had against Joe? Does anybody know that that answer? Joe, I'm sure you know it. Yeah, I'm sure it was one of the guys <laughs> from the AFC North. It was probably either James Harrison or Terrell Suggs, I would think. No, I mean I specifically like when he when you played against Kalias Campbell, who who uh, how many sacks did he have against you? Yeah, I played more inside. Uh, I played five, and I probably went against Joe actually in past situations by three times total. Yeah, <laughs> realistically, he's pretty easy to get by. You can tell us here on the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I, I, I don't know what it was. I remember I was watching some old clips not too long ago, and somebody interviewed me and asked me, like, how he was. And I was saying, like, he's like the perfect combination of, uh, of athleticism and technique and, uh, you know, strong to boot. And, I, you know, I mean, I don't you – know, everybody knows, you know, Joe's one of the best to ever do it. We definitely had – you know, uh, we had a couple battles in the run game for sure, but on the past situations I was – Mostly in a three technique, you know, uh, rushing right. aside, which is not a bad place to live for a guy like me. But I would have loved to got more opportunities against you, though, Joe. Yeah, that sounds like a defensive lineman. I'm I'm glad we didn't have more opportunities together. As an offensive lineman, I just wish the crappiest guy gets put over me all game, so I can just have a <laughs> cup of coffee and relax out there while they put the great players like you on on the crappy offensive lineman. Uh, let me ask you this: I know that. Um, Arizona, when you were there, you played a little bit more out over the tackle, uh, and you have moved around throughout your career, but um, now that you're in Jacksonville, do you enjoy, and do you have any input on, like, hey, I've been watching film, this is a guard, he kind of sucks, or this is a tackle, he sucks, I'd really like to be able to get a lot of opportunities to rush over him. Is that something that, within your defensive scheme, you guys are, are given the freedom to do? Uh, yeah, it's kind of one of the things where um... – you know, it depends on the year and the coach. You know, I've had a lot of different coaches over the years. But this year in particular, um, you know, uh, we'll kind of break down uh, the, the, each, each individual office lineman, and I kind of figure out why I feel like my strengths will go and be the most effective. I think it, it kind of showed in, that, in the Tennessee game this year. We had the Thursday night game, and I kind of went over the, their right guard. And uh, and really, I mean, I, you know, I, I just knew my, my, what I did well. I Beat him like a drum. <laughs> It was it was fun though, but I mean honestly, you know, uh, it is difficult because we move around so much. We have like such a our system is based off of calls, so I could be lined up, you know, pretty much anywhere from the one, three, five, either left and right, just based off the call. So uh, only time I got to really line up where I want to was on third down, third and longs, so or when I blitzing. So, so when you got to Jacksonville, and I remember when you were, uh, you know, actually going through like the free agent part, or and right after I think you might have signed with Jacksonville, we actually. We're in L.A. This is years and years ago now, out in Burbank yeah. on the Warner Brother lot. 
But when you got to Jacksonville, and I remember when you first signed, everyone was like, oh, man, he's tripping, leaving Arizona, going to Jacksonville. You betting yourself with it. You got a, a, an incredible deal. But you really changed the culture of not just the locker room, that defense specifically, which became one of the best defenses in sports. Um, and now fast forward a couple of years, like there's people that, you know, obviously Jalen Ramsey being gone. Um, what is the the feel now for you in that locker room? And, and as one of those leaders of that team, like, you know, what what is your message to the guys even still at the end of a season now where you're, you know, not preparing to go to the playoffs? Yeah, you know, my biggest thing now is just trying to help the young guys build, uh, build a culture. You know, I mean, on our defense, we had 2017 when we were one of the best defenses, you know, uh, I mean, really in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, our defense was, was, was spectacular, in my opinion, you know. and uh, uh, But on that defense, I think we only had four guys this last week that started this last game that started on the defense, you know, so we lost a lot of guys. I mean, yeah. literally, it's, you know, we got a lot younger. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's a lot of talent still on our defense, but guys are going through the growing pains. And so my biggest thing as a, as an older vet is just to kind of, you know, show them the winning culture, you know, the, you know, what it takes and uh, trying to just establish that consistency that you need, you know, on a daily basis of the preparation, the energy you have to bring to work, you know, and so, uh, you know, even though we you know, went on a pretty bad losing streak for a while there, it felt good this last week getting this W, uh, especially in a hostile environment. I mean, we were going in the last game in the black hole, and, uh, you know, that was pretty a pretty exciting, you know, game. But you could see the energy in practice. The guys were starting to kind of believe, you know, young guys trying to build their confidence. And, uh, you know, we played pretty good, you know, and so yeah. hopefully we can keep that going for this year strong when these last two and build on that going forward and we'll get some guys back next year that are healthy because we lost some guys to injury too so mm-hmm. uh it's going to be it's going to be interesting you know uh, but my biggest thing is trying to teach these guys like just hey, no matter what build a culture that you can win with you know there's a lot of core guys that are going to be uh, part of Joshua Jaguars for a long time to come and I'm trying to just establish in them that culture that you need to, to create a, a winning environment one of those young guys that you've been taking under your wing is first round pick out of Florida Taven Bryan what have you seen out of him this year, and what kind of an NFL career do you think he'll have? Yeah, he's grown a lot. You know, uh, I mean, he's one of those guys that's so freakishly athletic and gifted, uh, but he's never had to be like a technician before. I mean, he's just beat people off of pure athleticism, you know. And so, you know, uh, just working with him on developing a move, developing a plan, you know, uh, I mean, really just you had to kind of get him out of his own way because he's so gifted that it kind of made him like relax, you know, just nonchalant, you know, just, and he can still play well even in the NFL I mean he's putting you know just bull rushing guards on top of quarterbacks and he can you know flip his hips and, and turn the corner when he wants to uh, but my mind but you know just with me my biggest goal is to try to just get him to understand you know to, to develop a game plan just have a, a you know a, you know begin the week with a watching tape and figure out what you can do to beat the guy in front of you you know and then actually work it throughout the weekend and try to bring it to the game you know but I mean when you're young you have to just establish the basically had to watch tape, you know, so we, we, we work a lot though. And, uh, and you can see, like, I mean, just, he's been growing fast. You know, he's not, he's not going to be a guy who gets a lot of like, you know, flashy numbers, but he's going to wreak a lot of havoc in backfields consistently. And as he continues to get better, he'll start putting up those numbers, but he's kind of a Jesse Smith kind of guy, just frequently strong, super athletic. And, uh, and, and guys around him are going to make all the plays by, by him, the way he creates pressure. You mentioned that you guys got off the schneid with a, a big victory in Oakland, the last home game for the Oakland Raiders. 
What was the atmosphere like in the black hole for their last game in Oakland Coliseum? I got to imagine that things were pretty crazy, especially the way that things finished. Yeah, I, I would say that was probably one of the most exciting games I've been a part of. Really? Just with the, the energy in the crowd. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't... It was kind of like a playoff atmosphere with the energy in the crowd. Just knowing that, I mean, I, I wasn't—I I knew there was going to be a lot of uh, emotion with the fans knowing it's the last game. Mm-hmm. But just given the way the season's been going, I wasn't sure how intense they would be into it. But I was, you know, pleasantly surprised. I mean, the fans were intense. The energy was going the whole time. Uh, there's a lot of trash talking, you know. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, when you first started playing the Black Colts, always some trash talking. But uh, and then the way the game ended, you know, it was definitely exciting. So there was a nail biter the whole time. It was definitely fun to be a part of. I always loved playing in the black hole because the crowd was just so unique and so rabid. There was some crazy stuff we'd see with the guy that had like the spiky shoulder pads. And <laughs> when we'd warm up in the corner of the end zone, they'd throw stuff at us and they would be just barking all sorts of terrible things. Uh, they would try to shank our coaches as we ran into the <laughs> locker room. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, did you see anything? Did you see anything crazy from last weekend out of that black hole? Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty much everything you just said was definitely still part of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, we definitely had stuff thrown on the field. They're talking trash, you know. Um, I mean, I think we had good security, so nobody got shanked. But <laughs> they made sure nobody left the field. A lot of middle fingers, though. A lot of middle fingers. I love that. Hey, so we hear so much about Minshew, right? And there's like all these times where quarterbacks come, and like I remember with Kyle Allen early in the season, there was a lot of conversation around him, and they have their moments. And Minshew mania kind of took over the whole globe, right? So you're in that locker room. Is Minshew the real deal? He's a big personality, man. He's, he's got a swagger to him that you uh-huh. can't help but to appreciate. You know, uh, he's one of those guys, when you walk into the room, he just commands attention. First yeah. of all, his style. I mean, he dresses very uniquely. Okay. You know, but he makes it look so cool. Right. Uh, you know, and he has the, the, the mean mustache and uh, just the big personality, just super confident, whole lot of swagger, man. He's a guy... Uh, that, uh, you know, I mean, you see him out there the way he works and when he prepares, you, you know, you like the way he works as a football player, but then you just kind of see, like, he does some stuff that's unorthodox that you shouldn't do, but he yeah. makes you look good, and so you can't help but to respect it. All right, so I got a question. So um, terrorists come and kidnap you, and they're holding you hostage, and they have a, a shank. He's a he's an Oakland Raiders fan. He has a shank to your neck, and he said if you get one quarterback that gets to – Throw the football. You know the game the quarterbacks play where they throw the football into a, a bin on the field or even like do the crossbar play. And you have either Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, or Minshew Mania. You get to pick one to throw the football <laughs> to save your life from the Raiders fan who's a terrorist who has a shank to your throat. Which quarterback are you picking? Uh, I can't. I can't add in nobody else because I mean, that's, <laughs> nothing, nothing's wrong with them. But I'm saying uh, my man Patrick Peterson – when I was in Arizona, I used to go to do the quarterback drills uh-huh. every week and uh, do the same quarterback drill every week in Arizona. And my man Patrick Peterson, and the, you know, the All Pro D, I mean All Pro uh, DB, yeah, he's been seven, eight All Pro or whatever his numbers are. He's a ridiculous stud, right? But uh, as a quarterback, though, my man puts that ball in the money all the time. So if I had to pick one person to save my life, I'll pick a Patrick Peterson. You gotta, you get okay, using a phone in. All right, well you can't do that. You gotta pick one of the three. All right, this is my game, Kalias. Are you pick one of the three quarterbacks? <laughs> Who is saving your life? I, I actually, I watched it this year more often than not. I didn't want to watch it uh, the years past, so I don't know uh, how, how accurate Blake was in that game. Uh, but I know that uh, Foles and, and Mr. Uh, trade, they trade a lot. They both you know, put it in the, in the bucket. They, they both have uh, good accuracy in that, so I really couldn't be wrong. It's a, okay. It's a corner. All right, so Blake's eliminated. Now you're down to two. <laughs> Foles or Minshew? <laughs> Who, who's saving your life, man? 
<laughs> you think I mean, you, you think Raiders you fans are this patient? I, I, I put I put my face in both of them. Nah, yeah, you're dead. Man, you just got you just got shanked in front of everybody, Kalias. You're dead. All right, it's just <laughs> that's what happened. You felt the game, um, Jared. Your brother is somewhere. Like, nah, man, that's my brother. You got some funny brothers, man. <laughs> who, who is the funniest yeah, person in your family? Who's funnier, you or Jared? My, my mom. My mom is the funniest ah, person I've ever met before. She that's where the question. comedy comes from. Oh, yeah. My mom is hilarious. Okay. So, okay. Mama Campbell is the funny one. Um, You do a lot of stuff Jared in the media. Jared actually says he should get her on stage. Really? Yeah, Jared says he should get her on stage. So he's, he's trying to get her to do a TV show, too. I'm like, I don't know about what. My mom, you know, out there in the public like that. So we'll, we'll I see. feel you, man. I feel you. Unless it's a, a chunky soup commercial or something. Um, all right. <laughs> so simple. You do media as well. You you host a show. I've seen so many things. You create shows, pilots. You host them. Like, super multi-talented. Do you see yourself going heavy into media when you're done in 20 years? <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> it's going to be a few years. Definitely not anytime soon, but... Uh, I, yeah, I, I want to get in the media world. You know, uh, I, mean, I don't know. There's a lot of different opportunities and things I want to do and see what I'm good at. But uh, yeah, for sure, no doubt, man. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can do something together. Hey, now yeah. you're talking my language, yeah. man. Yeah, hang on a second, guys. I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> what Hawk is trying to say is, should he kill you now so that you don't take his job at the NFL Network in the media world <laughs> when you retire? Let me know. Because I'm actually the... Yeah, nah, let, me, let me live, man. All right. I still got a couple good years of, of, of football left in me. Okay, good, good. So you're still going to be on the field. All right, so we play a catchphrase game every week on the Tomahawk Show, right? So what the, te- the catchphrase game is, our fans pick a phrase, they vote on a phrase um, that me and Joe have to do in our, our, our broadcast for the week, right? You know, we're both at NFL Network, so we do shows all week. Joe does it on like the Thursday Night Football Studio Show, and I'll do it during the week on Total Access or something. Since you are a player, but you're also a quasi-media member because you are going to be a media superstar, do you want to get involved in the catchphrase game? All you have to do is use the saying, whatever the catchphrase is, in one of your interviews. Can we get a commitment from you? This will be be our first player participant in the catchphrase game. (laughs) So I got to get interviewed later this week. I got to throw the catchphrase in there? You got to throw the catchphrase game in. You got to throw the catchphrase in there. Very simple game. Pass or fail game. All right. Just like the Super Troopers. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So what do we have? We we haven't picked the catchphrase yet. We're doing it later in the show. But I will tell you right now, the leading candidate uh, for the catchphrase game is don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what's going to happen is we were going to make the determination. We're going to get the final tally by the end of this show. We are going to send it to you via social media, and we are going to be on the lookout for you dropping the, the Tomahawk catchphrase game this week. All right, let's make it happen, man. I'm there. All right, my guy, man. Best of luck the rest of the season. Man, Kalias Campbell, appreciate you joining us, baby. Thanks a lot, Kalias. I appreciate you guys having me. Take it easy. All right, that was our guy, Calais Campbell. I kept calling him Calais and Calais. I'm not going to lie. I'm not exactly sure because I hear it both so many times. Um, but I, I, when he was going through his free agency like years ago, he filmed his entire free agency. Like, so talking to, you know, the the Arizona Cardinals, talking to new teams, what teams he was going to. And this is before anybody kind of did that. I want to say J.J. Reddick might have did it um, maybe after him. 
But you could hear basically the Arizona Cardinals tell him, like, yo, it's we think it's a wrap. Like, we think you're done. And here he is three or four years later, and he's playing just as good as he ever has and literally, literally turned that entire Jaguars defense around. So shout out to Campbell, man, for joining us here on the Tomahawk Show. We have another guest on the Tomahawk line, something everybody's been looking forward to. The winner of our Water Boys contest, Johnny Rogers, is joining us here on the show. This show is officially known as the Tama Johnny Show. Tama Rogers Show or Tama Johnny Show? I feel like Johnny Menzel would have something to say about that. <laughs> I feel like we had an episode where it was basically the Tama Johnny Show, but that doesn't matter. Let's give him a call. Tomahawk. Johnny, what's up, man? Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. This is Andrew Hawkins, joined by my co-host, humblest of all of the co-hosts, Joe Thomas. How you doing today? Hey, Joe Hawk. I'm doing great. Yeah, man. You know, Beautiful. you know what? You won the Water Boy contest, and we couldn't be more excited to get you on here to join as a third co-host of the Tomahawk Show. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, Johnny. Lifelong Browns fan. I now live in uh, Virginia. I uh, work for a power utility. Watch the Browns every weekend. Uh, lived in Pittsburgh for a couple of years. That was rough. Uh, literally, literally the hardest place to wear your colors. So we got to ask, being the Tomahawk show, being that you're a Browns fan, and, you know, we're Browns fans too, what's been your perspective on the Browns season in 2019? Uh, and about sums it up. Disappointing. A little bit unsurprising. There was a lot of volatility coming into the season. We weren't sure how things were going to play out. And sadly, it seems like a lot of it's played out in the worst possible way. So what, if you if they said, listen, Johnny, uh, we heard you on the Tom and Johnny Hawk show and you were magnificent. <laughs> and we, the Cleveland Browns, we want you to be the president of operations. And it's up to you to fix this organization. What are, what are the first three moves you make, Johnny? Wow, they are really scraping the bottom of the barrel, aren't they? Um, <laughs> what we're known for. Yeah, I, I think at this point, there's got to be a change in the coaching staff. Um, I don't know if it's Freddie, if it's the offensive coordinator. Something looks wrong with Baker. Um, and it, it's everything. It's from like a game Sunday. What I noticed was Baker would make a perfect throw, wide receiver would drop it. Wide receiver would be wide open, and Baker overthrows the wide receiver. And it's just it's frustrating. Mm to see that and it seems like he's regressed in a way that I did not expect this year hmm. so how do you fix it so first off you're gonna have to get Baker help um I think it's either a new quarterback get coach. Baker help from who receiver I think you know he's got two of the most talented wide receivers in the league right now so what is it running back that means no he's got the best running back in the league too so where's the help coming from Johnny where are we where are we getting him the help at man I'm your assistant GM if you haven't noticed I asked the tough question I can tell <laughs> you, you are. It's got to be. I mean, he needs more help out of the O line. They are. They've been doing a really good job. It seems to me in the run plays, pass protection just hasn't been there. And okay. then I think it's coaching and, and technique. Okay. And right. It's trust. It seems like they're not all on the same page. And again, a lot of that comes back to coaching. Mm. And I don't want to. I don't want to be one of the guys calling for Freddie's head because I, I hate doing that after a year. Right, but things just haven't seemed right this year. All right, since uh, since you're trying to fire everybody's coach right now, let's talk about firing <laughs> podcast hosts. Since there's only room for two podcast oh, hosts, of course, 
you can't have the three of us. So somebody's got a gun to your head. Are you going to fire Hawk or are you going to fire me and put yourself in our shoes? Mm. Are you really going to put me in the spot like that? Wow. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Hard hitting question. Myself. Yes, that's fine. That's perfectly okay with us. <laughs> <For yourself. laughs> well, I, I agree with Hawk when he said a few what a month ago. I just hate the sound of my own voice. Mm. So if I had to listen to my own podcast, I'd go nuts. You go nuts. So you're gonna off yourself he, he, just to keep the Tomahawk show intact. That is he fits in well in the Tomahawk show. He's got a little imposter syndrome going on as yes. well. We we appreciate that. And the big media stars like Johnny Rogers. Absolutely. And then the, the detail Joe didn't give you, it was actually me with the gun to your head. So if you would have said me, it would have cost you anyway. Um, and there still would have been only two of us. All right. So be honest with I, us. I, I knew there was a trick there. <laughs> be honest with us. How much money did you give to the Water Boys donation? Uh, no, no judgment zone. It was the, uh, what was it, 1673? 1673? Or 1973? Or 1973? So six, yep. $16,730,000. Yeah, that bad. was a very oh, yeah. generous donation. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate that, man. Uh, How else was I going to the Water Boys appreciates <laughs> Exactly. Well, we were obviously going to go to the highest bidder. We've seen the 16Ms come through, and we're like, wow. We got to get this guy on, but not for more than 10 minutes. Let's not be ridiculous. So we brought you on here. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. We couldn't be more <laughs> excited. Um, do you have any questions for us, Johnny? Oh, Jesus. I did, and I, I did not bring them up with me. Um, what is it, honestly, surprisingly, what is it like running a podcast? What is it here that surprised you? Because I've heard you guys in enough interviews to know from the football side, but it's, it's now the media side. What is it that has surprised you the most now that you are exalted members of the media? I would say the most surprising thing for me is the number of people that have to work behind the scenes to record a phone call between me and Hawk. Because <laughs> basically what this is, is me and Hawk calling each other on Sunday and Tuesday afternoon and talking. And there's like 735 people that work behind the scenes putting this all together to try to make us sound and, and look good on Sundays. Right. And uh, even with that huge team of people, we, we sometimes sound like idiots. to F it up. And so that's surprising to me. <laughs> it's a, it's Sometimes we surprise each other with how terrible we truly are. Um, my biggest surprise was how much people, like big names in the media and as well as coaches and players – give a damn about what we say because it's just us. We just say whatever to each other because we're friends. And then I'll run into people that we have talked about on the show and they'll be pissed off about it. And it's like, why do you care? Cause I don't, I didn't care when I said it or you could talk about me and I wouldn't care. So that part was a little surprising to me, Johnny. That makes sense. Now what I like listening to you guys is it's fun getting players perspective on all of this. Uh-huh. That, that's one of the things I most appreciate about you guys is seeing something why Rome was one of my favorite broadcasters that you get this guy who's just recently in the game right. I can get a better feel of what's going on because I didn't play football I was a band nerd right I love that tell me this band nerd uh, what was your favorite part of the Tomahawk show it's got to be the catchphrase game that is oh. the greatest inside joke in right now you know what Johnny you deserve a round of applause and you got it because that is also our favorite part of like not even kidding in the what three seasons two years that we've done this show the tomahawk catchphrase game has by far been our favorite part of it so we love that you love it and we love that the, the tomahawk also enjoys uh us making buffoons of ourselves on national television 
I mean, it's also just funny watching your co-host just die laughing every time. <laughs> right. Ruining sports media for everybody. That's what that's our favorite part of the entire podcast. You call it ruining. I call it enhancing. There it is. I love it. This is a podcast and a uh, media enhancing podcast. This episode will forever be known as the Tama Johnny Hawk Show. And we appreciate you for your donation to the Waterboys contest. We appreciate you for listening. And we wouldn't be able to have this without you, Johnny. So we appreciate you joining Owen. And Joe Hawk yourself, buddy. Hey, thanks, Joe. Hawk, you guys, Joe Hawk yourself as well. We will. Currently. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, guys. Take care, boss. Thanks, man. You too, brother. All right, before we wrap, the votes are in, Joe. We've we've selected a catchphrase that you have to say during your color commentary of the Texans and the Buccaneers on national television, your first appearance as a color commentator, your debut, the precursor to you being selected as the color guy for Monday Night Football. Not to be confused with Booger. It's a different kind of color guy. All right. I can say that, Joe. You can't. The catchphrase is don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. Round of applause. Are you nervous? I feel like this is a nervous week for you for the Tomahawk catchphrase game. You know, it's been a very roller coaster week for my emotions. Um, (laughs) I'm in shambles right now. I've gone through three t shirts already, sweat right through them. I was feeling nervous when I first got selected for this game, but then I started preparing and I felt better. Uh But then this catchphrase was announced (laughs) and now I'm nervous again because I don't know how you can say this on national television in a serious role as a color commentator (laughs) doing the pregame and the postgame. That's a clown show. That's a bunch of clowns saying whatever they want. This is a serious show here. The good news is it's in Florida. Mm. And there's a lot of sweaty stuff in Florida. Yes. So I'm thinking that maybe there's an angle that I can work it in there, but I'm not exactly sure where. I love it. You got to figure it out. I can give you some pointers here. Now, first off, I I appreciate you, your commitment, right? Because, yeah, it's easy to do the catchphrase game for me when I on shows that I feel like nobody's actually watching, right? Or like <laughs> for you, you're like, yeah, this is, you know, pregame. I just go in there and say whatever. Everyone laughs. It's awesome. Get a lot of engagement out of it on social media. But there's no point of doing it if when the stakes are high, just like an astronaut eating a tomahawk. Never been higher. If you won't actually commit to the catchphrase, man. Because with that kind I'm of commitment, in. Joe, as you know, can't be measured with an abacus. With an abacus. So here's my suggestion to you. They're going to come in. Somebody's going to bring up the Texans' mindset because they're trying to get into the playoffs. Had a big win last week against Nashville. Buccaneers are trying to figure out if Jameis Winston is the future, and you just got to talk about the Texans. You got to say, listen, you know, this is this, this is a fine-tuned week for you. You should win this football game if you want to go the distance that you want to go to in the AFC playoffs. You can't sweat the petty stuff, and you definitely don't pet the sweaty stuff. You come in here, you focus in, and you do what you have to do to build your team's momentum going into the games that count in the postseason. Boom. That's pretty solid. Yeah, and that's just one variation. So just let that marinate a little bit. We'll be watching. We'll be excited. I'm DVRing that game. So we will have premium footage of you dropping 
the catchphrase game, the first appearance in a color commentary, man. I know the time of flock. We're all watching. What all right? do we think the odds are that I drop this catchphrase and immediately NFL security comes into the booth and they escort me <laughs> out of the booth just like NFL security did to that Patriots uh, videographer that was doing the <laughs> supposed documentary and they put me in handcuffs and take me away from the NFL game forever. Oh man. I, I think that the opposite will happen. I think ESPN <laughs> will call right to the NFL and say, Hey, we want the gotta negotiation. We got to have them. What is the, we got one on? more Monday night. We got to have them. We, we can't wait till next we year. We can't wait. We need this guy <laughs> now. How, how quick can we get him out of that booth and on a plane to the final Monday night football game? That's what my prediction is, Joe. I just want to go, in the booger mobile just one time. I oh. just want him to bring back the booger mobile. I want booger in the box and me in his mobile on you the wanna, sideline. You want to take over. That's my dream booger in booger. life. Yeah. That's my that's my uh make a wish dream. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, so don't sweat the petty stuff, don't pet the sweaty stuff. Simple as that. That's the com- tomahawk catchphrase for the week and we are, couldn't be more excited. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk show. Joe, what are your final thoughts, brother? Final thoughts are, I just received, in the middle of recording this podcast, my absolutely fantastic storyboard, which for those of you that haven't been in the media world like Andrew Hawkins has, it is a, I don't know, 24 by 18 sheet of paper. It looks like a Denny's play sheets. It looks like those play sheets that the coaches hold over their mouths like they're afraid of lip readers reading their lips. Uh, and telling the plays right and As it's got that but go ahead yeah it's got like the full roster for both teams and it's got all the statistics for all the players and then it's got these little spaces on there that you can add in little tidbits on all the guys and for all the the, the guys that do the color and the play-by-play they get these storyboards made for them by certain guys i don't even know who the people are but um i just got mine today in the middle of recording this uh-huh. and the most important note that's going to go on here is don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. <laughs> I'm writing that in a yes. extra magnum large Sharpie yes. right over the top that's of the language all of these names because nothing matters until I get that catchphrase in the game. <laughs> all right. For all you magnum large lovers, we'll be back on Sunday. Kalias Campbell, take us out. Joe, yourself, baby. Let's go. Let's go.